0: The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 U.S. 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Acts chapter 17. We're going to pick it up around verse 16 or 17 there in a few minutes. As we get there, I'll tell you a little bit more about my sermon. first of all, though, I have to tell you about this. This, my friends, is to me the most exciting inven- invention that I've discovered in the last five years. I should plug it in and run it. Uh, but uh, this is—I uh, I call it oscillating saw. I think it's just called an oscillating tool. I never had one of these, and it did a lot of little home projects. I can't tell you how many times I wrestled with, you know, a screw that I couldn't get off, and finally figured out I could just cut it off. And then putting in floor and trying to get it nicely underneath the door jams, no way to do it until I discovered the oscillating tool. Actually, the year before I came and became pastor here, I worked in some construction projects, and I watched these guys with these babies right here, and I thought, I'm getting one. I think this is not an expensive one, and it's done the job. It's really good. I had a slide up there to show you all the different assortments that come with it. It's really incredible. If you do not have one of these, okay? Okay, Randy, you got one of these? Okay, you can borrow mine for a limited time only, and then you get your own, okay? Uh, but uh, I'm always telling my kids, Kevin, you have an oscillating, song, I'm sure you, you got to have one of these. I, I, knew, I knew you would. Uh, but... Uh, f- what was I saying? Oh, about the thing, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been trying to get, like, my kids, you know, they, you got to get one of these. These things are awesome. These are incredible. I'm always telling people about what a wonderful tool this is, that it'll just, it, you know, you can just cut into places you could never cut before. And it used to be so frustrating. It's so exciting. I can't believe it. In fact, I have decided that if you do not spend your life telling people about how wonderful this baby is, one of the th- three things is true. Either you just don't have one. And therefore, you're not telling anybody. Or secondly, you have one, but you have never realized how wonderful this thing is. You know, somebody gave it to you, and you let it sit on the side, but you have never found the multitude of uses for it and just how incredible it is. Or you would be telling people about the oscillating tool. You would be doing it. Or maybe the third reason you don't is you just don't want to be that guy. You know, that pushy guy who's, you know, everything like, you know, you know, you've gotta have it, You got to see this thing that I have found, you know, and i got to share what I've said. You just don't want to be that guy. You know, we've been talking a lot about sharing Jesus around here lately uh, in the sermon series that we're on and talking about sharing the gospel. And the truth of the matter is, if that's something that we're not doing at all, I'm thinking it's one of those same three things. In a lot of cases. In other words, first of all, maybe we don't share Jesus because very simply we don't have Jesus. That's very sad, but we don't have him, so therefore there's nothing to share. We're not telling others about him. Secondly, maybe we have him, but uh, we've never really grown in the faith, and we don't understand just how incredible he is, and we don't get it, so therefore we're not sharing. Or thirdly, and probably most dominant in our lives is this idea of, I just don't want to be pushy. You know, our world doesn't like pushy people because our world tells us that, uh, first of all, you know, everybody, truth is kind of relevant and everybody has their own truth and you can't make what you believe more valuable than what somebody else believes. So you don't want to be pushing anything on anybody else. You don't want to be doing that. Well, as we look at Acts chapter 17 today, I think we'll see, okay, Why should I encourage you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, one of the things, if you've gone to church before, you've heard of something called the Great Commission, where Jesus gave a command to go and tell others about Jesus and make disciples of them. Go and do that. But many of us know that, and yet that hasn't been enough to get us to share our faith. And then the idea of compassion in our lives or, or just the fact that we care about other people and we know the truth that, first of all, how incredible it is to have Jesus in your life. But secondly, the alternative, if they don't come to Jesus in faith, if they don't trust Jesus and in an eternity without Christ in a place called hell and you think for compassion, I'm going to share that with people I love and care about. But even that motivation seems to have still left us somehow where we're struggling. I mean, we can leave church and think, yeah, hey, that's great. I ought to be excited about sharing my faith. I ought to be excited about sharing Jesus. But when the rubber meets the road, when we get out there into real life, a lot of times we're petrified to talk about Jesus. It's kind of hard to do. So I want today, from Acts chapter 17, I want to look at the motivation that Paul had for sharing the message that he, share, that he shared, so that we can maybe get a hold of that same thing. I should say this, too. There's been a scandal. Actually, this is true. There's been scandals among Christian leaders lately where they've been uh, accused of stealing each other's sermons. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever heard about this, but it, it, it's kind of a, first of all, who sits there and listens to all these ser- Ah! That was taken from this guy. I don't know who does that, but uh, somebody must. But anyway, there's been this scandal where they've accused different preachers of stealing other people's sermons. So I just wanted to say up front, I'm totally stealing this sermon right now. Okay. This sermon you're going to hear today took it completely from this other guy. I'm not even sure of his last name. His first name was Paul. Uh, maybe, no, maybe that's his last name and his first name was Apostle. Uh, but uh, we're going to look at a sermon by the Apostle Paul and just go through it. You know, I I got nothing original, I just want to share exactly what he said. So, uh, normally, we'd have the words up there on the screen for you, but since we don't, you got to listen a little bit more carefully as we go through here. I am going to begin uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, I'm going to begin with verse number 17. And the first word of verse number 17 is the word, so, which is like, therefore, okay, because, okay. Okay. So, what I, we're gonna do is we're gonna read through the rest and we're gonna find out what he did, and then we're gonna go back to before this the word and look at why he did it. Because he starts off saying, Hey, here's why I'm gonna do this. We wanna know why. So, therefore, this is what I want to tell you. But Paul shows up here at Athens. Now, when uh so he, and by the way, he showed up by himself. He's gone ahead of his fellow travelers. Luke's not with him here, Timothy's not with him here. Uh so it says he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So every day he would go in, uh, not just to the synagogue, but in Athens, the marketplace was like the center of gossip and everything like that. And everybody would get together and talk. So he'd go in there every day and says, and he reasoned with them there. And some of the Epicureans, talking about some of the philosophers there and the philosophies, the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers converse with him. Let me just mention for a second, because the Bible mentions these two particular groups here. The Epicureans, you know, we talk about the idea of what you believe determines how you live. The Epicureans were the group that believed that there was no afterlife, and therefore there is no consequences for your actions. So they lived like there's no consequences for their actions. Their theme, I always say, was P-A-R-T-Y, party, party, till we die. We're just going to do whatever we want because there's no consequences for it. Okay, so that's how they they lived. The other group, the Stoics, and you've heard that word, Stoic. He's kind of very Stoic. He's very serious. That's because they believed quite a bit in consequences for your, your actions. And they were like, man, we have to be very, very careful of how we're living and and take this all very seriously. So Paul talks to both of these groups here, uh, here in the marketplace, and some said, here's how they responded, some said, what's this babbler wish to say? They insult him. Okay, this guy's a babbler. Okay, when we begin to talk about Jesus, you can expect some will insult you, very simply. He's a babbler. And others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he is preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. Let me kind of explain this for a second. Remember, this is Athens, and we'll get to this a little bit more in a minute, but there's all these different gods. Well, one of those gods is uh, a god by the name of Anastasius. And uh, she is the goddess of resurrection, if you will. So her name was very similar to the word that Paul would use there. So when Paul preached about the resurrection of Jesus, they thought he was talking about a couple different gods, like they were talking about uh, Jesus and then also this Anastasius because they heard that word in there. So they were confused. So again, when we're sharing Jesus, we can expect that some people are going to make fun of you. Some people are going to ridicule They're going to say babbler. Others are just not going to understand what you have to say there. Some will be confused. So here's what they did. They took him and they brought him to Areopagus. Okay, the center. Let's let's put you right in the middle of the thing. Athens is already the center of the cultural world. Yes, by this time the Roman Empire was in charge, but Greek culture still prevailed. And Athens was the center of the cultural world. He's in the middle of this incredible architecture that is still patterned after today. He's in the middle of uh, these great philosophers. It's like he stepped into a meeting of the philosophy department at Notre Dame and IU and Purdue all combined, and they get together, and... uh, Michigan have a flaw, Yeah, they probably do. Uh, but uh, they all get together, and he's going to talk to all of these scholars. I mean, he steps right into what we'd have to say is like the, the lion's den here of all these people who, you know, are supposed to be so smart and everything like that. And he steps in there. And, but they say to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're preaching. Now, I'm in verse number 20. For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. In other words, they love this. Let's hear what you say. And we need to explore that for just a second because it relates very much to the world in which we live today. Uh, they in Athens, there, I guess you could say in some ways they were very open-minded. We want to hear what everybody has to say. See, they had a multitude of different gods. Uh, you know, they're all over the place here, and we want to we hear, "Hey, maybe we want to hear about yours. That's different. Yeah, we like that. That's good. They, they like this. This is part. They were very, at this time, ahead of their time, in that they were very pluralistic. They believed in a multitude of truths. Maybe this is truth for you. Well, let's hear what your truth is. Do we ever hear that phrase today? You get to share your truth. Now, in the world in which we live today, definitely this idea of pluralism, postmodernism, which is the time that we live in, is defined by relativism, that everybody has their own truth. And we think, oh, that is wonderful. Everybody has their own truth. But really, would you stop and think through that with me for a second? If I stand up here today and say, hey, uh, someday this old spirit's going to leave this body and I'm pretty sure that it's going to, you know, if I've been good enough, I'm probably going to get to move up a little level into a higher human being and come back as them. However, if I haven't been quite so good, maybe I'll come back as a toad or a frog or, or some, something like, like that. Uh, you know, if I, if I haven't been all that good, maybe that, that's, where, that's where I'm headed. And I, I share that with you. And you say, hmm, that's interesting. And let's say next week Josh gets up and preaches. And he stands up and he reads a scripture that says there is only one life and after that the judgment. He might have read that in the Bible somewhere. Uh, But he gets up and says that. And you say, hey, yeah, they're both right. Okay, that's stupid. Honestly, that's stupid. We both can't be right if we're saying opposite things. But that's what we tell people today kind of your truth. Embrace your truth. If that's truth for you, then it must be truth. Yesterday, I was with this little thing. Uh, I don't know, I'm guessing it was about that long. Yeah, I mean, it was little. And uh, all that thing does is fill up diapers, and scream when it's hungry. Now I shouldn't have said that. It's got a new trick. It's seven months old, uh, new trick. It is beginning to crawl. Now when I say beginning. It's a very slow process working its way across the floor. Uh, but you do have to at least keep your eyes open. And I think by next time we see her, we're going to have to really keep our eyes open because uh, she's a determined little booger. Uh, but she, uh, but uh, you know, I look at this thing and, and I think, oh man, my dog can do more than her. I mean, really. And my dog understands some words. And my dog knows if the bath starts running, goes and hides underneath the bed. It's got that figured out. And my dog's a whole lot faster, a lot more capable everything like that. So this little thing, I mean, it's really not, doesn't have much value. Can fill up a diaper and, and scream bloody murder. What, what value is this little thing here? And I really believe that it really just doesn't have much value. In fact, I think that things that age, could, could, you could do what you want with them. I mean, if you want to sell them. Uh, you know, get, get some value. I mean, that, that makes sense, right? I mean, you guys have a good steer. You could sell it, right? Your steer can do more than uh, that little thing can. It just do, does that. It's not worth anything. So it's, it seems logical to me, my truth, that you could do whatever you want. You say, that's absurd. Yeah, but how many people, the way that children are treated sometimes in our world today, their truth is they can do whatever they want. They can abuse. They can sell. They can traffic because that's their truth. You know, when we we get into this idea, and and folks, let's let's just say this real plainly. If you want to fight me about this, fight me about it, because I this is something I I will fight fight about. That the question has never been whether or not there's truth. The question has never been whether or not there are absolutes. The question is always who gets to decide. There is obviously truth, folks. You can't have two opposite ideas and say, oh, they're both true. It doesn't make any sense. But the intelligent people of our world tell us that we can all have our own truth. They're stupid if they say that. I don't know how to say that. That doesn't make sense. I mean, use your brain. I don't care who's telling you that. There is such a thing as truth. So Paul is talking to an area where, hey, they're glad to hear from this and this and this and this over here because, hey, it's kind of all true. We can collect it. We live in that same world Today. We live in a world where everybody has, again, what they would say is their truth. Let's go on. Verse number 22. So Paul, here's what he's going to do. Then. Standing up in the midst of them, here's what he said. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious because I passed along and observed objects of worship everywhere. You guys have more idols than the rest of Greece combined. He didn't say that, but that's a fact. In Athens, they had more idols than the rest of Greece combined. He said, I walked by, I saw these, uh, these idols all over, over the place. I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, actually a translation could be what you worship in ignorance, I'm going to proclaim to you. I'm going to tell you who this is. And here's what he says. The God, verse number 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, kind of sounds like that authority song we sang, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. If we could paraphrase that for just a second, here's what he said. You guys have a bunch of man-made gods. I have a God who made man. Turn those words around. Okay? God is not made by man. God made man. He's in charge. Okay? He's, he's the, he is the one. He is the source of life. Well, where did it? Now, by the way, again, getting into some things that sometimes people will claim as smart that don't make any sense at all. Science has told us very clearly something that's called biogenesis. It's the idea that life comes from life. But some have decided, oh no, life just spontaneously sprung out of nothing. Okay? Paul says, no, no, no. God created us. Okay? If if you... You know, you don't have to believe it, but I'm going to tell you something very, very plainly. This God, that you don't know who he is, I want to tell you about him. He is the God that made it all. And you do not get to create God, for God has created you. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Why has he sovereignly orchestrated our lives? Verse number 27, that they should seek God. God and perhaps feel their way towards Him, and find Him, yet He is not actually far from any one of us. And then Paul quotes some of the writers at the time, and he says, for in Him uh, we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said. We are indeed His offspring. And in the sense that Paul is speaking about, we are all uh, belong to God. You say, we, we Come into his family through adoption, through faith in Jesus Christ. You are, actually right, you are absolutely right. But we are all his children in the sense that he created us. Okay, we are all his creation. So Paul makes this very plain. But then, I'm sorry, then God's offspring, we ought not to think of the divine being in terms of gold, silver, or stone formed by the arts and the imagination of man. You hear what he said? So, you don't make God, okay? You don't make God the way you want Him to be. You don't get to create Him the way you think He should be. That's not your thing, okay? You don't get get to do that. You you need to pick up on this. You need to understand it. But then, after that, Paul decided it was time to be more user-friendly, and he wanted to be kind. He wanted to make sure that he did not offend anybody, okay? So, So, here's what he said, Those times of your ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. See, isn't that a lot nicer? Okay, let me back up again for those of you not paying attention. Uh, Paul said, basically, uh, God is the God who created everything. You need to get a hold of that. You're not supposed to be making gods, okay? That's not how it goes. God made you. You don't make gods. And then he, just to make sure they weren't offended, he said, God used to wink at your ignorance. It's time to repent. Okay, I thought if we had the uh, the words up here, I was going to go through and act like the guys back there messed up the slides because we were missing the nice verses in there. We're not missing the nice verses in there. Paul just went fl- straight ahead and he said, "Hey, there is no place for idolatry." Anybody remember the first commandment? Have no other gods before me. The second one, don't make any raven images. When Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, he said, "Love the Lord your God. Put him first." Everything like that. There is no place for idolatry. He makes that very plain. Because God has fixed the day that he will judge the world in uh, I'm sorry, judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. So God said, I've set the day and I've set the judge in place. And of this he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. Then when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some mocked. Others said, we'll hear a little bit more about this, but Paul went again, I'm sorry, we'll hear more about this, but Paul went from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among whom was Dionysus, who was an Areopagite, he was one of the great thinkers there, or great thinkers there, and a woman named Damaris and others as well. So Paul clearly says this God that you don't know who he is, I'm going to explain who he is. Now I want to go back and find out why Paul preached this sermon. So for that, I go back to the verse 16, right before that word, so. And it says, when Paul showed up here, he was waiting for the others there at Athens. His spirit was provoked within him because he saw that the city was full of idols. I think that if we are going to speak like Paul spoke, we're going to have to see what Paul saw, and we're going to have to feel what Paul felt. Okay, and the first thing that, that we look at here is what he saw. So he's walking down the streets of Athens, which is the center, the cultural center of the world at this time. It would have been the most beautiful city. It's not a war torn city, it's glamorous. It has these temples everywhere, it's wonderful. And Paul doesn't say, oh, man, nice architecture. These are incredible statues that you have. I've never seen anything like this. This is unbelievable. You know what stood out to Paul? We got idols everywhere. He saw the idolatry of the time. And I want to get you to consider the fact that this is something that we need to see too. Okay? Now, there's a multitude of different Greek gods that they had. They had a god for fame, I think the the word is pronounced famos or something like that. But uh it's kind of interesting because fame and gossip go together. I thought, you know, TMZ that's how it started. But uh but the the uh, the whole idea of you know they had they had a god for fame. They had a god for power. Okay? They had a god for wisdom. The whole city is built around this Athena, the god of wisdom and and that. They had gods for for satisfying sexual appetites that I cannot even describe the statues to you. Okay, they had, uh, but they had all these different gods for basically everything else, everything else that man was going to substitute in for God. Song God laid on Jeremy's heart today was from Psalm 90. And uh, the phrase in there that we repeated a lot was the idea of satisfy me, Lord. Well, here's what was going on. Everybody was trying to be satisfied with everything else. Okay? We had, and that is exactly what we see happening in our world today. So Paul was consumed, it says. Okay? Let's see. What's the word? It was provoked in his spirit. You know that idea? Paul was indignant. Paul was mad. It's a word that shows up very little in the New Testament, but it's in what is called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's in there all over the place. And usually it comes across as the word jealous. Paul was actually jealous for his God. You say, well, isn't that a terrible characteristic to be jealous? But you know, you read, sorry, I wrote it down here. I I was going to show you the verse, uh, but I encourage you to look up later. In uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 42 says, listen to this phrase. God simply says this, I am God and there is no other. Hear what I just said? I am God and there is no other. That's what he said. And over and over again in that psalm, he repeats that idea that he is God and he does not stand for rivals, if you want to put it like that. That just doesn't happen. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 14, it uses that that word very in particular that God is jealous. He said, my name is Jealous. And still, this is rubbing us the wrong way a little because we're thinking, well, jealousy, that is not a good thing. Doesn't the Bible say that love is not jealous? And yes, love is not jealous. That is definitely true. When I look at, for example, at my relationship with my wife, if I am jealous of her getting the bigger piece of pie after dessert or her having something better than me, then that is an evil jealous jealousy as far as that goes. But if I am jealous of that covenant relationship that I have with her, if I am jealous of that and somebody else tries to break that, that is a good jealousy. And can I say, I will not stand by and allow somebody else to try to break that. I, can I say, I will fight? And you say, Pastor, you don't look very intimidating. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm not. I got these real skinny wrists. I think if I ever punched somebody in the face, my fist would just, you know, uh, just curl up and break. I, I realize that I am not uh, that physically imposing. I, I, I get that. But I have this giant maul in my shed that I use for splitting wood. And I think that could do a job. And you say, well, wait, yeah, but if they saw you coming, they wouldn't. I'd sneak up on them. Uh, Totally sucker punch. You say, Pastor, are you advocating violence? Yes. Say, Pastor, I don't really think you should do that. Well, then you don't do it. But when it comes to my marriage, I'm, gonna, I'm going to. I'm going to be jealous. I mean, Think about how parents are with it with their kids. By the way, <laughs> while well, we mention that, Upward is starting in a few weeks. Pray for Pastor Josh to get Upward going because he has to deal with all these jealous parents. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Just, just pray for him. It's going to be a challenging few months for him as we see that because sometimes that jealousy gets out of proportion and they are wanting things that uh, other people have just as much right to. But yet at the same time, that jealous. Protection of your children is a good thing, isn't it? That mama bear idea of protecting them, that, yeah, that is a good thing. That is it. Born there like that. And I think what the Apostle Paul was saying is, okay, we should know that to be obedient to God, we will share Jesus with others. Because the Great Commission says for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. We should, because we love and care about people, be compassionate enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and realize that this is their only hope. We should get that. But for some reason, it's not quite grabbing hold. Let's get a hold of something else here today. Let's get a hold of a jealousy and a passion for God and His name. And let's see, first of all, in our own life, the things in in my life that have taken the place of God, that I am looking to be satisfied by these things, that I'm looking to be filled up with these things instead of looking to God. Uh, Dear God, would you show me those things today? Would you show me where I am trying to fill my life up and and, uh, complete my life with things other than you? God, would you show that to me? And God, would you help me to see that in the world in which I live? Not so that I can judge others, but so I can see what is happening in the things that they're going after and the things they're chasing after so that I can be sad about that. Uh, and what they're realizing that those things will never satisfy and help to point them to Jesus Christ who is the only one. Lord, could I be jealous? Could I be passionate for your name? When we sing around here and we sing his praise, I hope you get a hold of that. Really, I mean, I hope, you, I hope it helps you fall in love with Jesus. Yeah, I said that before, that, that's the purpose. I mean, I want us to become more, more passionate. I do not, and b- by the way, <laughs> whatever that looks like, I hope you plug into worship. It's not going to look the same in every one of us, okay? Whether that means you're standing there thoughtfully uh, with your eyes shut and kind of praying those prayers, or whether that means you're raising your hand and saying, <laughs> shout out the compost! Well, no, no, you don't want to say that. Uh, but uh, getting, getting excited about it, whatever that looks like, I want to invite you to get passionate about worshiping Him. I do not get bonus points. Jeremy does not get paid more the more of you that sing okay and Adam we don't pay him squat so uh, so we could double it uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but we don't get bonus points if people really get involved in the message. But I want to invite you into that. I want to invite you into worshiping Him and loving Him more than ever. Uh, when I'm telling you, you know, the importance of reading our Bible and hearing the word preaching, coming to church, again, I'm not getting bonus points for any of that. Nobody is. That's not where we're going. But we say around here that one, the first thing that we want to do is help people connect with their God. First of all, in that they would know Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior. But secondly, that they would grow to know Him more and more and more, because out of that knowing Him, out of that loving Him, comes this jealousy, a holy and a godly jealousy for Him and His name and His glory, and it causes us to bow down before Him and say, dear God, would you please, in my life today where there are things in my life that I have placed on a throne ahead of you, God, would you show that to me today? And God, as I look at this world and see the emptiness of the world because they're trying to fill themselves up with things that don't make, uh, that will never satisfy. God, would you show that to them? Would you help me to boldly proclaim your truth? Because they need to hear it. Somebody needs to hear the truth. God, would you help me to get past the pushy police and that I'm worried about people thinking, oh, no, it's that guy. It's that crazy Jesus guy. God, would you help me to be as bold as Paul because you helped me to see the things that he saw and feel the things that he felt, that passion for God, and not give a rip about where it takes me or what it does, but I'm following it because I'm following you and I'm passionate about my love for you? How about it? As we have been going through this, this whole idea, when we're on week number four of a five-week series that we're just talking about navigating the world in which we live now. I have really been feeling... Sensing that what I want to do is encourage you to be on the offense. Okay, I'm, an, I'm enough of a sports fan that I know that you, know, you watch your team play and they get a big lead and they stop playing offense and you start to think, no, this, no, no, come on, you got to keep trying to score. You know, don't go into the stall in the basketball game. You know, don't start running the ball on every play on, on, in the football game. Don't do that. You got to keep playing offense. And I think as we approach this world out here, yes. There's a sense in some ways where we're going to hanker down and and make it hang tough. But bottom line is, the only hope that this world has is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to get on the offensive as far as promoting it. And I think the key. I have no desire to try to shame you into this. You know, I went to college at a place that was a little nuts in some things, but uh, I was required. Like, I mean, I was required to witness to somebody every week. I mean, like, I got in trouble if I didn't. Like, go tell. Uh, I have no desire to say, you know, try to shame you into sharing Jesus. I have no desire into, you know, just bringing guilt and saying you have to share Jesus. But I would love it if we got so passionate about Him that we did. That we got so passionate, so jealous for His name that we actually shared. Uh, the worship team is going to come back up because we're going to sing uh, uh, that song again. I actually, now I know I'm weird and I don't want to do this every week and I'm not excusing the fact that I didn't order a new light bulb for the projector. I really am not. But I actually kind of enjoyed worship today because I sat there and I just it, it, it made me do something different. You know, you can kind of get in a rut and it made me do something different Stop and start, just really think Okay, and it's kind of weird because my sermon evolved a little bit this morning. Uh, I got up and I just got thinking about the ending of it and it felt like God was changing my mind. And then I came in and Jeremy said, hey, I've had this song on my heart all week. And again, it's from Psalm 90. It's, it's Moses' psalm, but it's just it's a song of exaltation, of lifting him up. It is, let, let me grab the Word of God for just a second here and go back. I think I got a handy dandy bookmarker in there. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all the days. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Psalm 90, just to look at and focus on who he is. Folks, if we are going to ever be able to share the gospel and speak the words that Paul spoke, Take a look around at what he saw. Feel what he felt. A consuming passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. As we sing this, okay, okay, one last last little sermon here. As we sing this, that word satisfy is going to keep coming up over and over again, or as you listen to them sing it. God, I want to be satisfied in you. Would you ask God, please, to show you what else has filled that spot? Okay? What else has filled that spot in your life that rightfully only belongs to the king of my heart? That's the other words we say today. What has taken that place there? God, show me that today. And God, help me to fall more in love with you in your name so that I am indeed zealous and jealous for your name. And I will share your name with others. Even if it means being that pushy guy. I will share the name of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, let's let's go ahead and stand, wake uh, up again, and let me let me pray. And uh, where you can sing, or if you like, but if not, just kind of focus on these as a prayer from Psalm ninety. Father, yeah, I I pray at the beginning. Lord, would you just take this time? Help us to know you better, love you more, and and have that really be what changes us from the inside out. God, my weapon is not shame. My weapon is not manipulation. My weapon is Your Word. And Lord, I pray that we would see it accurately this day so that You'll use it to change us. In Your name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.